The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Second Corinthians 5, 14-15 For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lois. Appreciate you. Man, what a beautiful uh, picture we have for our little ones uh, in our congregation to come and to read the Word of God to us. Appreciate it. It takes a lot of courage, even for me to stand up here, but especially Lois. So thank you, Lois. Well, welcome again. This, this has been uh, a little semi-crazy uh, start of the morning, but regardless, God is faithful, and uh, we will go on. So this, this morning... I will continue to build off the the series, or the short series, I should say, that Pastor Sergi uh, preached on last week as we are entering into a season of Lent. And last week, if you wasn't here, he challenged us to reconsider uh, making room for what's best. In other words, he he told us to, to let go of what's good in order to receive God's best for us. And this morning, what I want to do is, I want to I look at the foundation. I want to look at the, the motivation behind us giving up what's good in order to receive God's best. And if you allow me, i like to title this sermon, A Compelling Love. And before we move forward, I want to encourage us just to take a brief moment to prepare our hearts and our minds to hear the most important word, which is God himself. So take a moment just to prepare your heart and your mind to hear from God's word. Father, hear us now. I know you hear the anxieties of our hearts and our minds, the unfinished to-do lists. You hear the conflict that we may be hoarding. You hear the fears. But God, I know you hear the desperation that we come before you seeking to be healed, seeking to be transformed, seeking to, to know you more deeply. And so we pray that you would allow your word to to sink deeply within our hearts, that we wouldn't leave this place the same. So thank you for committing yourself to us. Thank you for allowing your word, your promises to be an anchor for our lives. And so we commit this time to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said together, amen, amen. A compelling love. Love will make you do all kinds of things. It, it, will, it will make you do some incredible things, and then it'll make you do some foolish things. And I'm not just talking about 
intimacy or relational love, which that's included, but I'm talking about our love for all kinds of things. You got a love for a favorite restaurant, a favorite sports team. Maybe you got a love for a favorite shoe that you wear. <laughs> but love will make you do all kinds of things. And I remember growing up as a kid, and I had a love for a particular TV show. I will leave that show unnamed because I don't want y'all judging me. And kids, I don't want you Googling that show. But I had a, a, a love for this particular TV show. And I remember, I mean, I used to think about when I was at school, riding the bus, getting home, making sure I prepare my favorite snack, and I made room to sit down and to watch that show. I'm 34 years old, so to some of you that may seem old, but there wasn't no uh, on-demand. I couldn't record it and, and rewind it so I could see. So if I missed that episode, then I had to wait till next week. Or I went back to school and somebody told me about it and ruined it. That's a whole nother story. But when I think about not just myself, I think about all of us. We do have certain particular devotions to certain things and to certain people. And those particular devotions, it orient our lives in a certain way, right? It, it takes up residence in our minds and our hearts. And we move things around in our day-to-day -day life in order to give attention to that particular thing. But what about our devotion to Jesus? Do you feel forced to love him? Do you feel this sense of obligation? In this current season, is, is Jesus the, the runner-up in your priorities of love? Brothers and sisters, he, he's too good just to give him second place. He's too good just to give him the leftovers because he proved himself worthy of our love because of his sacrificial love, he died for a people who didn't even love him in the first place. Talking about a compelling love. But as we dive into our text, I, I want us to explore this main idea, which is Christ died for us in love so that we could love him with our lives. Christ died for us in love so that we may have the privilege and experience the blessing of loving him with our lives. And so today, I, I just want us to, to, to simply answer two questions from our text. And the first question is, what makes Christ's love so compelling? And the second question I want us to answer is, how does Christ's love compel us to live? So the what, but also the how. So first, what makes Christ's love compelling? We see it in verse 14. When Paul said, for the love of Christ controls us. And there is an intentional word that is used in verse 14, and that word is control. And if you just Google this particular passage and you've seen different translations of 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15, you will see a few interchangeable words. Instead of control, you might see compel. Instead of compel, you may see constrain. But regardless of the word, it's communicating this, this driving urge to do something. So when you compel to do something, you have this driving urge 
to, do, to do something. So you may heard people ask the question, what is your why? Y'all heard that before? Do y'all have a why? I'm not going to ask you. But do you have a why? And essentially what people are asking, what they want us to answer is what, what's driving you? What's giving you the urge? What's, what's waking you up out of your bed every single morning? What's your why? And we may respond all kinds of ways. Maybe it's my family. That's my why. Maybe it's financial freedom. That's my why. Maybe it's advocacy. That's your why. All kinds of whys. But when I think about brothers and sisters in the scriptures, and you can make the case, Paul, his why, it wasn't about just getting accolades or getting degrees because he said in Philippians 3a, he counted all as loss. You think about Sister Priscilla, her why wasn't solely just to be a businesswoman, but she wanted to advance the kingdom. And you can go on and on and on. But what arrested their hearts? It was a compelling love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just pause real quick. I know we got some crying kids. You may see it as distracting, but it's not a distraction. In fact, it's an act of worship. So by God's grace, thank you for parents, aunties, uh, guardians, whoever you are, you brought your kid. And for some reason, they just cry, having a hard time. That's okay. It's an act of worship. So back to the text. All these different people were compelled by something, and they were compelled by the love of Christ. Look at Paul in verse 15. He says, so, so what's so compelling about God's love? He says, because we have concluded this, that one has died, therefore all have died. I remember when I was in college, my senior year, I began to feel pain in my mouth. And come to find out, it was my wisdom teeth that were ready to come out. And I don't know if y'all been there uh, before, but it's a painful thing. You can't eat, you can't, you know, all this kind of thing. But I remember I was going to church, and there was this retired oral surgeon, Bob Ward. That was my guy. Bob Ward was a smooth, you know, older white man, but always had an encouraging word. But he used to practice in oral surgery. He was a surgeon. And I remember I was talking to him. I said, Bob, man, my teeth is killing me. I don't know what's going on. He said, brother, I think it's your wisdom teeth. You got to get those things pulled out. I said, Bob, I hear you. But my insurance don't hear that either. Um, I was broke. <laughs> I ain't have no dental insurance. He said, it's cool, it's cool. Just come by my practice. Tell them that I sent you, and they'll take care of the rest. I said, okay. So I went up. I made an appointment. I had my procedure done. And I remember before the anesthesia kicked in, I remember looking at the screen, and I couldn't really make out all the different medical procedures, but I seen extraction one, extraction two, extraction three. I seen anesthesia and some bunch of other things. But at the very bottom, the total cost, I saw zero. And it gave me a lot of joy. I sat back, I got the anesthesia. They pulled them teeth out, and I ain't have to pay a dime. Bob even paid for my, my pain medicine during my recovery as my teeth and my gums healed. I was so grateful of his act of kindness. You see, I, I had a need. I was in pain. I was broke. But Bob stepped in and used his resources 
to alleviate my need. If y'all still tracking with me, I know in a much deeper sense, Christ, <laughs> he saw me. I was spiritually broke. I was in pain. I was lost. There was nothing that I could do to make myself right, but he stepped in. And there I tell you, we have a surgeon who expertise is not pulling out wisdom teeth, but his expertise is redeeming us out of the muck and the mire. His expertise is, is turning around generations that have been damaged through different additions. His expertise is dignifying and bringing value to the societal outcast. His expertise is giving us hope in a hopeless world. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you need to read about, if you need to, to see about a true, authentic love story, Netflix won't give you this. <laughs> Lifetime won't give you this. But just look at the gospel. It'll give you all of that plus more. But is this true of your life? As you hear me telling you about this compelling love of this Savior, is this true of your life? I mean, what difference would this love story make on your life if you really thought about the extremes that Jesus went through to meet you where you are? The rebellious states, the rebellious seasons that you had, is this love compelling to you? And I invite you, brothers and sisters, friends, if you are on the fringe, if you have been wondering and debating whether or not Jesus is worthy, don't take my word from it. Ask him yourself. Jesus, show me. Help me. Even though you may not answer all the questions, he won't answer all the questions that you have. But ask him. Would you show me and give me a heart to appreciate your love? The second question I want us to answer is how does Christ's love compel us to live? Verse 15, Paul goes on to say, He died for all that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for those, I'm sorry, but for him for their sake died and was raised. In other words, how does this compelling love ought to influence our life? This compelling love gives us freedom. And this freedom comes by first humbling yourselves, surrendering yourselves, making yourself low to the lordship of Jesus Christ. In much of his ministry, Jesus invited people to do that. They were after the blessings. They were after the miracles. They were after the healings. And this is what Jesus did. He drew a line in the sand. And Matthew tells us his comment, his charge, his challenge. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to 26, it reads, And Jesus told his disciples, If anyone can, will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and forfeits his own soul? The condition, if you want to come after me, 
Deny yourself. Deny, deny, deny. James K. Smith, in his book, You Are What You Love, he said this. He said, Jesus' command to follow him is the command to align our loves and our longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all. I know we desire and hunger and thirsting for that fulfillment, for that true peace, for that joy, for that freedom. But it doesn't come from us sticking our chest out in a prideful, arrogant way saying, hey, you know what, God, I can take care of my own life. I'm going to make the moves I'm going to make. Like, like, this is the plan in here. You make something happen. But true freedom, true fruitfulness is aligning ourselves with his will. I'm not here to brag because my days of sports are well uh, past due. But I remember I was playing baseball in high school. And I was getting frustrated because I wasn't, I know I wasn't playing to my highest potential. I wasn't hitting, making as many hits as I wanted to hit. And I remember I had a coach, Don Ingerson was his name. And he said, Artez, I'm noticing something. He said, your grip is too tight. I said, what you mean, coach? He said, Artez, your grip is too tight. Therefore, you can't make contact with the ball the way you want to, which leads to frustration, which leads to you not producing what you want to produce. So I remember after practice, he would take me to the side and I have a, a hitting tee. And I just hit, hit. He'd stop me. Hold up. You tighten up again. And I had to loosen up. Hit, hit, hit. And after that series of hitting and retraining my mind and loosening my grip, I went hitting home runs like that, you know what I'm saying? But at the same time, I did see more success. I did, I did see more contact and more hits. And you don't have to be a sport person, and you probably got lost in the translation and the illustration, but this is what I'm trying to say. I was trying to do something my own way, and I wasn't successful. It caused frustration in the goals that I was trying to accomplish. But it took somebody else who was a quote-unquote expert to see the ways that I was off. And he saw my grip. He said, Ortez, you need to loosen your grip. I had two decisions. I could have just did what I wanted to do and continue to have a tight grip on the bat, or... I could have listened, humbled myself, and trusted him that he knew what he was talking about. If I can connect the dots with you, brothers and sisters, there are many things in our lives that we are walking around with a tight grip, and it's causing frustration. And you don't see the fruitfulness. You don't see the success that you know what's pleasing to the Lord. And God is calling us to trust him to loosen that grip and to surrender and find real freedom and fruitfulness. Here's a few areas I think that we probably need to reconsider loosening our grip. We need to loosen our grip of trying to project a certain image for other people in the body. 
take the mask off. If you can't come to church and be authentically yourself and you feel like you got to project a certain image, then where can you go? Nobody have it all together. I don't care how much money you have and the car you drive or how articulate you are or even you come in with a smile on your face. That don't tell the whole picture. Loosen the grip of feeling the, the burden and the pressure to be seen a certain way in front of your peers, your colleagues, and your mentors, your children. Loosen the grip. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 in the King James Version says, to the praise of his glorious grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. We are accepted in Christ. There's nothing to prove and there's nothing to lose. Loosen the grip. We need to loosen the grip on our future. We walk around with tightly gripped plans. And it's causing even more anxiety, more stress. Because you haven't made any room for God to, to, to have these pre-orchestrated, ordained pivots in your life. You say, nope, this is it. Loosen the grip. We forget about the one who holds all of our days. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. This was a corporate promise, not just an individual promise. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. It was true with the Israelites, and it's true for you today. Loosen the grip. God has a plan for you. It may not come when you want it or how you want it. But would you trust somebody who created all the stars in the galaxy, who know the hairs on your name, who's been preserving you thus far? The very thing you were stressing about five years ago, now you're walking in that thing, and by God's grace, he gave you that thing. Now something else that you're stressing about, God, are you going to provide? I'm really projecting. <laughs> Loosen the grip. And lastly, this may seem controversial, but hey, Richard not here. Um, <laughs> loosen your grip on your spiritual disciplines. Loosen your grip on your spiritual disciplines. I got to praise it with the kids, but not the adults. It's all right. There are seasons when our love for Christ doesn't compel us to devote ourselves to his word and to prayer and to fellowship. Instead, we're compelled, we're, we're constrained by guilt, by legalism, or even comparison. Man, when I talked to that sister, it seemed like she never missed a day in reading God's word. Man, I look at that family every single day. They have a, a family devotional. I haven't had a family devotional in months. And it leads you to this, this guilt, this self-condemnation, because you're so convinced that you have to be the perfect, quote-unquote, Christian. You are perfect. You are the perfect Christian because of Christ's perfect righteousness. But in practice, none of us are perfect. So loosen the grip, even on your spiritual disciplines, and ask God, God, meet me where I am right now. I know I'm still your beloved and accepted son and daughter. 
not by what I can do for you, but what you have already done for me. There is no greater motivation, brothers and sisters. So as we go, the prayer is for God to help me love you today. Show me what areas in my life I need to loosen my grip. And God, every single day, remind me what a compelling love story that you have for me. And I'm so grateful that it was God who loved us first, and it wasn't contingent on our love for him first. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you, God, for your everlasting and unconditional love. That this love, it transformed. This love, it, it can't be fully grasped. This love heals. It restores. It redeems. And so God, meet us exactly where we are. That you would give us the strength every single day to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we're not compelled by guilt shame, but we're compelled by your initiating love towards us. And you wrapped us in your righteousness, God, and we're forever securing you. So be with us as we move forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, I just want to uh, give a hand of thanks and gratitude for the volunteers, for the leaders, the flexibility this morning with the power. Thank you guys for your patience and flexibility. So appreciate it. That says a lot about our church. You loosen the grip of the expectation. Nah. But uh, go in that reminder how great is God's love for us. As high as the heavens are above the earth, great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. But before you go, receive the Lord's benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Amen.